Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Today comes from Genesis 1 and 2, so reflect on these words as we read them. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So they made the fish in the stock and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image male and female, he God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the creatures that move along the ground, Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. In all their vast array, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creation. When they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the ground. Then the Lord the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of became a living being. A garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man. He had formed Genesis one twenty six through two eight. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, "You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, from the tree of the eat from it. You will certainly die." The Lord God said, "It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him." Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He named them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. The birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. 18 through 20. One. We're looking at Genesis 1 and 2 this morning. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name's Mark. I happen to be, uh, to have the privilege of being one of the ministers here. We're glad you're with us. As Sam explained, this series we're in is talking about how do we live out our faith in some of the most important areas of our lives. We talk a lot about Sunday worship, but how do we live it out? And if you look at the graphic that's been provided for the series, you'll notice that the light in the boxes grows dimmer the further away we get away from Sunday. And that's, that's an indictment against human nature 
that says we're surrounded in a world where we're hearing voices of so many different sources telling us so much information that's not true that if we don't listen to the word of God regularly, those voices will win out. And so what we want to do is strengthen our walk each and every day. So the first three weeks of our series, as Sam explained, we talked about our key relationships, whether it's uh, marriage or parenting or being single, how do we live those out under the, the view of the cross? How does that change the way we live it? And today we begin with the concept of work. And any theology of work must begin with the theology of creation. And that's why the passage was read before I came out. The Genesis explains to us. In fact, I'll tell you that I believe that all theology is found in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And then the rest of the Bible just explains it and articulates it more so. But everything you want to know about God, about us, about our purpose, is found in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Now, having understood that, we're going to focus on the first two chapters, because today our focus is on work. Genesis explains the creation, the work of God, and it gives us a prototype for how we work. So I'm going to, I'm going to say a statement, and I know this is awkward, but let's do it anyway. I'm going to say a statement. I want you to repeat it with me, because it's the theme of today's message. Here it is. Work is a blessing. And when we understand that, that piece of theology, that work was given to us by God as a blessing, not a punishment, it allows us to open our minds to how the theme of today's message comes out. Work is our worship. And if we know that work is a blessing, we then know that our work can become a worship. So let's give the theological foundation, and then we'll talk about the practical implications to us every day. First of all, first point of the morning is God works, and he creates It says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That word created is an act, it's an action. God worked. God produced. It says that God first is our creator. And in fact, what's important is uh, you need to understand this, that God created out of nothing. He didn't go to the pantry and pull out some supplies and turn them in, mold them into something. There was nothing and God spoke it into being. And I believe that with every fiber of my body, that's exactly how it took place as described in scripture. And the reason that's important for us to understand is you can shake your head and go, okay, okay. So he did. What difference does it make? Because if God spoke all things into creation by his words, then what weight and authority do we give to his words? If he can make something out of nothing, then when God tells us something's wrong, it should be considered what? wrong. And when God says something is right, it should be considered right. What we've done today is we've stepped back and said, well, he created all this with words, but his words don't have the same weight today. And I'm telling you, be very, very careful of that because the words of God mean God's will and the authority of it that spoke all things into being are the same words that speak us into life and hope and truth. So God works. And I want to show you three things about the work that God did and how it relates to us. The first is this. God works with the material world. Uh, There was an age and a time, not so much in our day, but in previous days, philosophically, people thought that tactile things, physical things were evil and only the spiritual was good. And I'm going to show you that God worked with the material world, which means it has equal value to spiritual things because God brought it into existence. Verse 2 of Genesis 1. The earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. That word wind in the New International Version that we're using this morning is also, in some of your translations, more accurately uh, defined as spirit. 
And you say, well, why does he use the word wind? Think of the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, it came in the sound of a what? A rushing wind. It's an imagery from creation that God was recreating through his church, his kingdom. And so the word wind says that the Holy Spirit was going over what God had brought into being and shaping it. That'll play out. That'll make sense in just a few moments if you'll hang with me. Creating is work. And we are created by God to create, to produce, to enhance. And we'll talk about that for the implications of why work is a blessing rather than a curse. And in the created universe, God brought four things together. He brought space, time, matter, and energy. Space, time, matter, and energy. And what you'll know then is that the work you and I do every day is using some of those things, space, time, energy, and uh, matter. You couldn't do work without those four things. So God brought them all together. He produced them. On day one, he separated the light from the darkness, forming day and night. On day two, he separated the waters from the atmosphere. And on day three, he separated the water from the land. He created the foundation on which creation would come into being. He put all these things together out of nothing. And then on the second half of day three, he created plant life, which needed the previous three days' work to exist. In day four, he created the sun, moon, and stars, the lights, which the plant life needed to survive. On day five, he filled the water and sky with fish and birds that could not have survived without the lights and without the plants. And then he created the other land animals and humanity to populate the land, which needed the previous things to survive. In other words, God's work was progressive. One of the frustrations about our work is that it seems to never end. But work is progressive. As we create, we create more and more opportunities to use our gifting the way God would have it designed. So God uses created matter. Secondly, God works relationally. Now it says here in Genesis 1.26, if you look down toward the end of the chapter, let us make humankind in our image. Let us in our. Interesting terminology. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus was the one creating. Genesis says that God was creating, Jesus was creating, and the Holy Spirit was creating. God worked relationally. The triune God, the Trinity, working together. Not separate beings, but working together in their gifting. God worked relationally. Let us make an hour. Next, God limited his work. And this is structurally important for us. Because if God limited his work, then you and I can learn from this. And I'm not going to read the passage, but it's found in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. At the end of six days, God ceased his work. That doesn't mean he stopped working forever. It wasn't the last moment he worked. Jesus told us, my father is working and I am working also. God is constantly working his will out among us and within creation as designed from the very beginning. But on the seventh day, God finished his work and he rested. Now... In a culture, a Western culture, with a worldview that says we prove ourselves every day by what we do, this is a hard concept. And we're going to build on it more next week, but it must be introduced this week. So I ask you a question. Feel free to answer. Did God need to rest? He didn't need to rest, right? Was there more work that could be done? Sure. I want you to notice the the questions I'm asking you are the reasons most of us give for not resting. Is there always something else to do? Would it be good if those things got done? 
But God rested, why? Because he knew it was good for us. So his example of work is the prototype for our example of work unless we think we're better than God. So God rested because he wanted to demonstrate to us that there is a rhythm to life and the rhythm is not all work. In fact, I'll just give you a foreshadowing and make, cause you to never come back. But here's what we're talking about the next three weeks. We're going to talk about work, we're going to talk about rest, and we're going to talk about play. Because when we don't idolize any one of those, we can find balance in all three of them. When we idolize work and we make it the thing that we serve, hoping it will bless us and save us, and we're out of balance, and I think America's out of balance. And we'll address that in a moment. So we know that God worked with the material things he created. He worked relationally, and then he also rested. I'd like to show you that God equipped us to work in the same ways that he worked. He built us this way. He created a world for us to operate this way, and it's best when we work this way. You see, everything is grounded. Every piece of theology is grounded on the fact that we are made in God's image. And because we're made in God's image, the way he works is the way that we're created to work. So if God works in these ways, then so should we. In uh, the fall of 2014, in September and October, for those of you that didn't attend Christ Church or weren't familiar with what we were doing, we did a series called Corrective Lenses. Now, my glasses correct the deterioration of my sight over the past 50 years. So when I wear these glasses, I can actually see you. If I take my glasses off, I can see my notes, but I couldn't see anybody in the front row. So I wear glasses or contacts to correct my vision. And what we found is that when you let the Word of God correct the world's vision, you can have a worldview that is beneficial and balanced. So in September and October, we covered some issues of worldview that Christians needed to know to understand what God had really said, not what the world said. Having done that, on a Wednesday night, and you can go back in the archives on our webpage. I'd really encourage you, if you want to know more about this, at a deeper level, over a 75-minute time, Michael DeFazio, our teaching pastor, uh, taught on the theology of work. And just concluding some of the things that were shared are this. Work is a good part of God's original design and preceded the fall. Now, now when we look at this, this is what I want you to understand. Work is not punishment. God didn't make us work because we messed up creation. Work was always there, and work was always a blessing. Work was always good. Secondly, work has been distorted by sin in our lives, but Jesus can redeem it. That Jesus can bring the value back to work that God intended. Thirdly, all are created and gifted to work. Every single person is to work. And the Bible says, those who do not work, neither should they eat. It's not someone else's responsibility to feed you. It is our responsibility to work and provide to take care of our family's needs. Fourthly, the purpose of our work is to honor God as our creator. That's why we work, which means... Let's talk about what work isn't. Work is not to make a name for ourselves. It's not to climb the ladder. It's not to be famous. It's not to be known. Secondly, it's not just to please a human overseer. We're not just to work for man's approval and man's respect. Thirdly, it's not to make a profit. That's not the purpose of it. It's to just make more and more and more. Fourthly, it's not just for our own uh, personal happiness. It doesn't say anything in the Bible that we work so that we're happy. In fact, you're really hard-pressed to find the word happy anywhere in your scriptures. 
Joyful is what we're to be. And joyful is a much deeper level of happiness. And it's not, a, it's not about being paid. So if at this point you're sitting here going, well, I'm retired, or I'm a stay-at-home parent, or I don't have a job right now, this isn't for me. No, no, no. If you've mistaken, if you think that when we talk about work, we're talking about being paid to do it. Because we're not. The work we do is a part of living out the image of God in us to create, to enhance, to expand, to use what God's given us and do amazing things for people with it. Um, I'm just going to say this. All right, I got the mic. When I was a kid growing up, I'd, had, I'd hear preachers say this. The greatest calling in life is to preach the gospel. That's not true. The greatest calling in life is to be a godly parent is to raise a generation up to know the Lord. And I want to say that to those of you that are stay-at-home parents who wonder if you have value because you're not paid to do what you do. You're being paid by the Lord, and you're doing amazing work. Keep at it. It's fundamental to the growth of the church and the kingdom is to have homes that are built on God's truth and not what the world says gets rewarded. Okay, that was free. Back to the sermon. 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul writes in a very, I think this is a very, I think it's a thumbnail sketch of the theology of work, if I may. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. It wraps it all up. Work for the glory of God as a blessing to others to the testimony of your faith. So what I'd like to do is show you that human work has four components to it. There are more, but I only have time to identify four. So let's identify these. If we're going to work in God's image, it's to exercise dominion over the material world. And what I mean by dominion over the material world is we need to take the things that God's given us and we need to put those into use to bless and honor God through those. Not to take them and abuse them. Not to take them and control them, but to use them to the glory of God. Genesis 126 We're to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. God has given us in his image something that no other part of creation has. That we are made in God's image. We have a will and we have a soul. And other parts of creation don't have those combinations. So God has put us here as the caretakers, the shepherds of what belong to him, not what belong to us. So to have dominion is to steward the things of God effectively for everybody's benefit, not just our own. Ian Hart says, exercising dominion over the earth as God's representative is the basic purpose for which God created man. It brings God glory and it brings us fulfillment. Genesis 2.5 teaches us something also about God's plan. No plant of the field was yet on the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. Everything was in its place. But God said, but the one piece that I need is I need man there to do what I've asked him to do, which is to take all that I've provided and bless himself and others. And when the man was created in Adam, then the earth came to life the way God wanted it to. Dominion is representing God's image in the physical, material things of creation and how we use them to honor him. So how does this, and I'll ask this question each and every time, how does that reality of truth affect the way you and I work? 
How do we express dominion? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do in your work, can you do it for the glory of God? Can it be about him rather than about us? Can it be about him rather than about profit or about prestige or about market share? Can it be more about the people we're working for and the God we work for rather than what the rewards are in this immediate temporary earth? So we know that we're here to represent God, not just ourselves. Secondly, to work in God's image is to work in relationship with others. We see that God is inherently relational. He created through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we know that we're inherently relational. My book of Genesis tells me when I read it that God walked in the garden in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. He was relational. He desires to be relational. God did not create us because he was lonely. God created us because his love created us to love him, to love one another, and to live in the beauty and power of that love. So we're created relationally. In Genesis 1.27, male and female, he created them. When he saw Adam alone, he said, it's not good for him to be alone. I will create a helper suitable for him. And in all of that, God has showed that our work now, whether you work alone, and I know some people might say, I work, in, I work at home, I work by myself, I don't have any connection with people, so my work's not very relational. No, no, you're working to bless somebody else, aren't you? The work you do allows someone else to do the work they do, and all of that comes together in a greater cause. So I'm not talking about office space. I'm not talking about how many conversations you have. I'm saying that relationally, we work with, for, and amongst one another. And it's better when we do that. And it's the way God worked, and it's the way we're to work for others, with others, among others. So I have to give a caveat here because it, it strikes my, my mind and heart. If your work is not aiding, serving, and allow me to create a word, gospeling the good news to others, then you may need to question whether or not what you're doing can accomplish the purpose for which you were created to work. Does that make sense? If, if your job is taking advantage of other people, as a means to an end, or if what you do professionally is causing, is taking advantage of other people's weaknesses and addictions and so forth, then you may have to stand before God and ask him, show me, is this what you've created me to do? Is this the way that I'm gospeling the culture with the good news and hope of Christ? Now, some of you are in, are in dark places. I get that. Some of you are working in circumstances right now where there's not a lot of Jesus. There's not a lot of hope. There's a lot of desperation and profit-seeking, and you're sitting here thinking, do I get out? No, no. If you can be the light of the gospel there, and God has you there, you can serve God there, right? Because we're called to go into all the world and preach the gospel, not just to go into the safe parts and preach it. But it's about relationally aiding, serving, loving others. Thirdly, we're to work in God's image is to work from God's provisions. And what's interesting about this is that God had all the power in himself to satisfy every one of his needs. He didn't need us. God had everything he needed to take care of all of his own needs. You and I don't have that power, do we? We're reliant totally on God. And if work is to create, to produce, and to embellish, then ours is to take all that God's given us and turn it into something that loves and brings hope and joy and glory to God. Now, goofy or not, it's true. 
First time I went into a restaurant and they offered me a fried egg on it. I want to hug the person who had that idea. If you haven't had a hamburger with a fried egg on it, you'll thank me later. If you have, you'll amen me now. When I walked in and they put that egg on there and they said, you want to try it? And I thought, what if I don't like it? She said, you won't have to pay for it. Bring me two. And it was glorious. And I want to find out historically who created pie. There should be a singular hall of fame for that person who thought, if I put this all together, Mark will be happy. Thank you. The truth is that God has given us foods and land, and he's given us materials, and he said, here is my globe. I've given it to you. Go be fruitful and multiply. You see, we read that, and we think that's just producing children. I don't think so. That's part of it, but not all of it. Where does beauty come from? Where does music come from? Where do food stuff come from? God said, I've given you all these materials. I've given you the ability to be creative. Now go out there and do it. Be creative. Bless others with the gifting I've given you. Genesis 128. God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God said, see, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God says, I have given you so much. Go live to my glory. Create, enhance, produce. Go love me. And how does this impact our daily work? It's, our purpose is to bless others. Our purpose is to show the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that doesn't understand what real hope looks like. It's to live in such a way that we take all that God's given us and we use it for his glory and we honor him with it. And to work, lastly, in God's image is to be blessed by the limits that God sets. We'll discuss this again more next week. But in Genesis 2-3, God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it God rested from all the work he had done in creation. The fourth of the Ten Commandments is found in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. And this is where some of us break out into sweat. If if psychological testing is correct, 25% of us in the room feel guilty if we don't produce every day. We think we're less valuable I know I struggle with this. Have you ever done the color code? If you haven't, it'll tell you a lot about yourself and it's worth your time. I sometimes feel guilty after taking a nap because I could have spent that hour, hour and a half doing something, getting something done, getting ahead, planning ahead, getting things done. That's why we're here. No, no, God's in heaven going, you're not God. Take a nap. Because I can idolize work because work will prove to other people I'm worth something. Now, some of us, we idolize rest, and we think that's our work. It's no more spiritual to overrest as it is to overwork. And then I bring play into it, and some of you are like, well, that's just not biblical. Huh. I look out the back window of my house almost every morning, and I have three, three tiny fawns and two mama deer walking through my backyard, and those Babies are banging in each other, jumping into the woods, back and forth. They frolic. You cannot frolic seriously. You can only frolic joyfully. And the Bible even talks about how the fish jump out of the water in celebration. 
And we live in a world that says, God's serious. We've got to be about business. No, we don't. The God who created the playing animals is a playful God. When we get the balance of work, rest, and play right, we'll understand our Father and ourselves at a much deeper level. So, rest is a part of it. And we'll develop that more a little bit next week. Because if you're not willing to rest, it's deep down that you're not willing to trust. And this is where our worship, our work becomes our worship. Because remember what we decided a little bit earlier? Work is a blessing. And so is rest. And so is play. 1 Thessalonians 4. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. We work so we can provide for ourselves from God's provisions. We work so that we can testify to the goodness of God. We work as an expression of the image of God within us. Whether we're paid or not, it doesn't matter. All of us create, produce, enhance, and bless. And it's the gift of work. So, as a pastor, I need to answer some questions that linger in the room. What if you're unhappy in your work? What if the thought of Monday steals your joy starting on Saturday? What if you don't like the environment, you don't like the culture, you don't like the people you work with, and you're sitting here going, my preacher just told me to quit. I'm going to tell you what I am telling you to do. I'd ask you for the next five days to worship at your work this way. Seriously, get on your knees before your father and tell him your whole heart. Why don't you like what you're doing? Why don't you feel fulfilled? You may find you've idolized your work. Or you may find that you're not in a place that's allowing you to use your gifting and you want so much to use your gifting. But ask God to change your heart first, if necessary, and second of all, to give you this week to worship at your work, to shed light where you're at, to go in every day offering the gospel truth. I don't say go in, I'm not saying go with your Bibles and halt, halt work right in the middle and go, we're going to have a Bible. Don't, you'll get fired. But tell the scriptures, speak of your Jesus, Love your neighbor, serve well, honor where honor is due, and work hard with your hands leading a quiet life. And see if God doesn't transform your circumstances. For some of you, the jobs you do are painful to you because the world doesn't respect it. The world makes fun of it. And so sometimes we get caught up thinking, well, if the world doesn't respect my job, then I'm not much of a person. If you were here last week, I told you that if you're not in a relationship with another person, that means nothing in the eyes of God. You have everything you need in Jesus to be actualized and fulfilled. And I'm going to tell you, what you do for a living, unless it doesn't bring honor to God, doesn't say anything about you. So whether you're the lowest rung of the ladder or under the lowest rung of the ladder, or maybe you own the ladder, That doesn't matter to God. Your value is not in what you do for a living. Your value is in who you do it for. Let the the words of the cross tell you who you are, not what the world says about your occupation. Because if if making money is it, the world's going to lead you. If being powerful and famous is it, the world's going to lead you. The great or the worst job anyone's ever been asked to do is Jesus. God said, stop being king of the universe and come to earth and be lower than a servant and they're going to kill you because they don't value you at all. And 
Our Savior did it so he could love us and show us truth. So don't let the world tell you that what you do defines who you are or what you have or don't have defines you who you are. The truth is Jesus Christ defines who we are, doesn't he? So we work for Jesus, not just for man. We work for Jesus, not just for productivity. And we work for Jesus, not just for a paycheck. Because a good theology of work is, God gave it all to us, let's give it back to him with praise and glory. And let's remember who we are in his eyes, not in the world's. And then, we can live a life every day, no matter where we work, no matter if we're paid or not, that the work of our hands, the work of our hearts, and the work of our mouth is worship the way God intended it to be from the very beginning. And that's the God we worship together this morning. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.